Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, and now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, man. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host Eddie Trunk. Welcome, everybody. It's Eddie Trunk, and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Free and new episodes every Thursday. Get them wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope everybody had a great Labor Day extended weekend. And here we go, already well into September. Before you know it, we'll be talking about the holidays uh, coming up with Thanksgiving and Christmas seemingly around the corner. Uh, I came back from hosting Rocklahoma. was a great time. Uh, we got it in. <laughs> it was touch and go there for a bit. And we made it. We made it through. It was a great experience to be back hosting that festival, which I've hosted every year since 2007. So many great bands, so many great fans, and, uh, you know, some disruptions to the lineup. Uh, slight weather issue, but not overly anything really, given the history of that festival with weather. So got out unscathed for the most part. And obviously different times, you know, with COVID still a thing, it's definitely some issues out there in terms of bands being able to play and the way the backstages are and stuff like that. It's definitely something that has changed greatly, but hopefully not for much longer. We'll see how that all goes. But it's good to see live music happening and fans coming out in droves, and it felt good to have a rock festival going again, and it was a thrill to host it. So if you were there, thank you to everybody who came out. Good to meet everybody who I had a chance to meet, and hope everybody is safe and enjoyed it and had a great time. And more festivals coming up now as we get into the back end of 2021, and we'll see how they go and what obstacles may or may not exist for them as things continue to move forward the best they can. As I tell you every week, the interviews you hear on this podcast originate on my SiriusXM radio show. Trunk Nation is heard live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 Eastern time on Channel 106 with nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern and full shows in their entirety anytime you want on the SiriusXM app as well as the interviews. So if you are in the U.S. or Canada, you are not listening every day on Sirius XM and only get this podcast, you're getting a tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis every week live on the radio. We do give you a little taste, though, uh, for those that are outside of the U.S. and Canada and for those that, uh, for whatever reason, don't join me on Sirius XM. You get a little taste every Thursday of an interview that I did there, one of many, but again, not even close to the amount that I do on a regular basis. And of course, on the radio show, there's interactivity. You can call in, there's news, there's all kinds of stuff that you just don't get here on the podcast. So again, if you're in the US or Canada, be sure to join me every day on volume, Sirius XM channel 106. And of course, thank you wherever you are for checking out and subscribing to the podcast. Social media, you'll find me at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the website. On my social media, I did post some photos and some video from Rocklahoma, including performances of Hailstorm and Rob Zombie. So be sure to go there and check it out. And that's also another way to connect. 
what else do I need to tell you this week as well? So I've got appearances coming up. Going to have three big nights in Houston coming up. They are October 7th, and they're all at Warehouse Live in Houston. October 7th, I'm there hosting Sebastian Bach. October 8th, for the first time ever, I'm doing my speaking Q&A show at Warehouse Live. Come on out for that. That's a lot of fun. Storytelling, Q&A with the audience, stump the trunk with prizes. That is October 8th. And then October 9th, I'll stick around and host Jackal. So 7th, Sebastian Bach. 8th, my own show, doing a speaking Q&A show. And the 9th, Jackal, all at Warehouse Live in Houston. Hope to see you. Get your tickets now. Then from there, it's Monsters on the Mountain the following week, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, October 15, 16, and 17. And a bunch of great bands playing that. Monstersonthemountain.com for more information there. And then it's 80s in the Sand in Cancun for the week of October 25th. Can't wait for that. Tons of bands there as well. Busy, busy October. If you're in New Jersey this coming Sunday from noon to 2, I'll be at the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame Awards doing some hosting work there. So a lot of stuff going on. Best thing to do, follow on Twitter and Instagram at Eddie Trunk for info and updates. The interview this week for you on the podcast is with Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. Uh, this recently aired on my show on Sirius XM. It was about two weeks ago, three weeks ago that I visited with Bruce. As you're about to hear, the interview was part of our virtual invasion series where I had an audience, a live audience virtually via Zoom calling in and talking with Bruce. And of course, I talked to him some as well. And if you are a SiriusXM subscriber, you can watch this entire interview because it is available on the SiriusXM app as video as well. So the interview you're about to hear is uh, Bruce talking about the new Maiden album, Senjutsu, with some listeners and, of course, myself. And you're getting an extended full-length cut here on the podcast with some extra bonus content in it. Again, I urge you to check it out for the video as well, if you'd like, and you have SiriusXM. You're just getting the audio here on the podcast. So Bruce Dickinson, what can you say about Iron Maiden that hasn't been said already? Nearly 40 years of bringing us some of the finest metal ever created. Iron Maiden's brand new double album, studio album, is out now, of course. And as you're about to hear in the interview, we'll see what they can and cannot do as for as far as touring uh, in the upcoming near future. We'll keep an eye on that and see how that all plays out. Uh, I think that kind of covers it. Radio show, social media, Bruce Dickinson. That'll do it. Let's get to the interview, right? Coming up, Bruce Dickinson on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. And welcome, everybody, to the latest Trunk Nation virtual invasion coming to you on Sirius XM Volume 106. It is a great honor to be joined by a man that I've been a fan of since the beginning and had a chance to interview many times over the decades. It's always great to visit with Bruce Dickinson. Bruce, thank you so much for the time. How are you today? I'm okay. Doing good, actually. Uh, having, uh, you know... Chilling out, as they say, slightly. <laughs> you know, I uh, I was just I was going to chill out myself with one of these, Bruce. I I just was sent some of the Hellcat beer here from Iron Maiden a bit run, early. I, I, I'm on the East Coast in the U.S. A bit early for me to start, but uh, yeah, it looks I've like it's going to be wonderful. No, no, I've I've run out. I got a six pack the other day and it's gone. I'm like. Damn, need some more. You know, it's uh, now it's really, really good. I'm, uh, I'm delighted with it. Obviously, we we had to go, we had to go really round the houses a bit because of COVID, and there were some personnel changes in Brewdog, and uh, you know, I was supposed to go over there, and you know, we're all kind of stuck on this side of the pond at the moment, uh, but hopefully that will change. Uh, so uh, in the meantime, um, it's it's out, and uh, I think it's, it's it's it looks great. I think it's a great-looking can, and it's a great brew as well. Yeah, anybody that's been lucky enough to be in an Iron Maiden meet-and-greet or backstage in the hospitality rooms, now you've got an array of beers to sample because you've always got the Trooper there, and now you can have some Hellcat there and the others. And uh, the, beyond the fact, we all know there's a lot of artists that do – 
their own branded uh, beer or or liquor, what have you. But I know you're really involved in this and it's really, really good. I think that's the important thing to know. It's just not well, something to slap your name on. No. Well, that was the whole the whole genesis of the project at the beginning was that somebody approached us and want us, wanted us to do exactly that. And we were like, well, we're, we're not interested in doing that. If we're going to do it, let's um, let's be creative. Um, at which point they, they sort of went, oh, well, you know, that sounds like a bit like hard work. And we went, oh, yeah, but it's better to be authentic and, and do something, at least if you try it. And we were we were really lucky with the the opening the opening bid, traditional English ale, Trooper, we're 30 million pints plus now. But then we, we spawned a range of Trooper beers that are all brewed here. But then now we've got a, but now, of course, we've got, um, we've got a, uh, an Australian lager, which we call an XPA um, down, down in Oz. We've got a Brazilian um, mango chocolate IPA brewed down in Brazil. So the next option obviously because we love getting trooper into the states but it is just expensive to shift liquid thousands of miles um across the atlantic you know so you know we'd um we'd really love to have a partner to brew over here with so uh, you know brewdog came along and we were like well yeah let's let's see how this works and uh no so far it's been great and the the, the, the liquid is brilliant. I mean, it's really got a kick to it. It tastes, in fact, my son had a can of it last night. He goes, wow, dad. He said, this might be my favorite brew dog beer ever. Um, I said, but the, uh, he said, the only problem is it tastes so good, but it's 6%. He said, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't do four pints of this. You know, I think you'd have to, I think you'd, ha you'd have to, you'd have to grow in stature by a, <clears throat> a couple of hundred pounds, you know, before he could do that. But um, yeah, it, it is great, and it's uh, it's up there with a you know a, a, a lightweight Belgian in terms of you know uh, strength. But it scores big on flavor. It's lovely, great, great beer. Well, I'll be digging in on the weekend. Now, speaking of being creative, <clears throat> a, another album from Iron Maiden seemingly dropping out of nowhere, uh, and yet the and the second Iron Maiden album in a row that's a double studio record. I find it amazing in this era where uh, people say, well, bands should only put out singles now and nobody wants albums and what have you. Leave it to Iron Maiden to uh, buck that trend and second record in a row that is a double uh, studio record. Let me get this out of the way, Bruce, because before you came on with us, we had a debate among the folks on, on the team here. The proper pronunciation of the album, Senjutsu or Senjutsu? Uh, tomato, tomato. Potato, Either potato. is okay. Either or either. Let's call the Nico whole thing or off. Nico. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really don't. I, I really, uh, I actually, I, I really don't care. I honestly don't think it particularly matters. You know, I call it Senjutsu, um, but Senjutsu uh, would, you know, just takes slightly longer to say. That's all. Uh, you know, I mean, um, it's judo, it's jujitsu, uh, or it's ninjutsu. Um, so Senjutsu is how I would say it, but I'm not Japanese, you know. So um, I, I think we'd have to defer to somebody from from Japan for the the what might be the correct pronunciation, but. You know, that's the great thing about the English language. It's whatever you want it to be. Who Whose idea was the, the, the title for the record and the concept? And somebody who is Japanese now is Eddie, who is brilliant on the cover. It's a brilliant uh, piece of art on the, on the cover image as well. But whose idea was the whole concept for, for this, Bruce, and the, the album title? No, that was all Steve. So he came along and said, look, uh, I've had this idea and I think we should call the album Senjutsu. And I was like, okay, that's different. Uh, kind of cool. Samurai Eddie. Yeah, that's really cool. What's it mean? Um, and uh, we got a few different versions of what it actually means. I think the closest you can get to it is that it's kind of the way of strategy and tactics, you know, the philosophy of strategy and tactics. And funnily enough, the, um, there is an, uh, and it's really the only track on the album that is, specifically related um, to th things Japanese-y. You know, the rest of the album is not really at all, except there's a a kind of 
peripheral one, um, which is the, 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 the track Stratego, which obviously there was a board game called Stratego. Well, it turns out that Stratego, the board game, was actually based on a turn-of-the-century French board game, which in its turn was based on what they termed Japanese military chess. And Japanese military chess is otherwise known, I believe, as shoji. Um, and it's uh, a very complex version of chess because... Uh, basically, when you get to the, you get some pieces to the other side of the board, they change sides, ah. uh, which starts getting really complicated because actually, yeah. you one side does a takeover. So just at the moment when you think you've won, suddenly your own team turns against you. You know, stabs you in the back. I'm thinking, wow, that's yeah, that's kind of prophetic, you know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Japanese military chess, uh, uh, Stratego. So there is this other, you know, weird round-the-houses link that, that goes to it. But the rest of the album uh, was just songs that that happened. Um, but we always like to put it in a in a nice box, you know, in a nice framework uh, with something, something really cool to hang it off. And um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean... Book of Souls, obviously, we had the whole Mayan thing, and that was good for a few songs. But again, we had songs on there about the First World War and Fokker triplanes and all kinds of stuff like that. So the, it, 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 it doesn't have to be kind of slavishly following a particular storyline um, in this case. It just hangs together as a sort of a visual concept, and it's great. I mean, the, 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 the 3D Eddie... It was fantastic. And, of course, we got to slot him into the video um, as a 3D unit, um, which was something we didn't think about when we first started the video. But we were like, how could we make this work, having a essentially a 2D video and then having a 3D figure come out of the fire pit at the end? Um, so there was a bit of technical wizardry involved there, which uh, I think worked pretty good. Yeah, the video for the writing on the wall, which you're referencing, is is brilliant. People have been able to see that. I, I, just Bruce, overall on the record, I mentioned seemingly to us, the fans, the record kind of came out of nowhere. But in reality, you had been sitting on it for quite a while. And the assumption from me and many others, so many bands made records during the pandemic lockdown because artists were home. They had nothing to do. Let's make a record. This actually predated that. Can you fill the audience in on the, the seeds of this record when it was written and how it was recorded? Because it was done quite a while ago, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, um, we, we came off the initial legacy of the beast tour and then we had a gap of, uh, several months, um, probably six, seven, maybe eight months before we started in the USA on the Legacy of the Beast tour and then finished up in South America. So we were touring from kind of August all the way through uh, till end of October time. Um, and in the gap, we said, well, you know, what are we going to do? Um, yeah, we could just get, you know, Adrian could go do a lot of fishing. Uh, you know, we could, uh, you know, uh, David could go and lie on the beach next to his house in Hawaii. Very nice, you know. But we said, well, why don't we use, take two or three months. Let's let's go and use some of the energy from playing live. Um, let's go and do an album. Heck, why not? Um, and that was the thinking. And Nick, funnily enough, Nick turned up and... Um, and he, he was all grumpy. He was all, oh, I don't know why we're doing this. Oh, no, I was like, I'm in Florida, you know, playing golf, you know. Uh, and, and we said, well, it seemed like a good idea and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you don't have to be here for the whole time. You go back to Florida, you know. Um, and amazing that we did do it because if we hadn't have done it then, I mean, we did go out on tour after that. And then we all came back and then it was Christmas. And then like three months later, like the world ended. The original plan was to release the album um, basically at the end of the summer in the, the, first, the first iteration of lockdown, if you like. Um, obviously, we didn't know it was going to be lockdown. We thought we were going to be on tour. Um, and the idea was we would release it then. Uh, but... Obviously, that didn't happen. And then the following year, in other words, yeah, kind of like th this year, we were supposed to be on tour all this summer. 
clearly that was not going to happen either. And we've punted everything forward to next summer. And we thought, well, we cannot wait that long. So we've got to go with the album uh, th this year. And, we, we, you know, we faffed around a little bit with exactly when and where and all the rest of it. Um, but during the first lockdown, that's when the idea was seeded to go and spend uh, a lot of time and energy doing a, a fairly extraordinary animated um, animated video. I mean, it, I say video, I mean, it's more like a kind of little mini, mini six and a half minute movie. Um, and I, I thought it would be the sort of thing that might just seize people's imaginations given that we've never done anything like that before and given that there would probably be no touring immediately around the album. So that was the, that was the thinking on it. And then a few things, when you do stuff like that, things have a ha habit of happening around it that you never thought of. So that the project takes on its own life. So the, the kind of tease that we did on the internet like with all the clues leading up to the release and everything. We never thought about that at the beginning. That was never part of our, you know, I mean, I was involved in the, the storyboard and the storyline of the video and the making of and all that stuff. And the last, I just thought it would be really cool to have a kind of a, some kind of world premiere. I was, actually, I was thinking like old school, actual cinemas. Uh, but of course that was impossible. So, a mistake that happened during the making of the video kind of produced this uh, flyer, this poster, Balshazar's Feast. And that's what gave us the idea. And in particular, a um, uh, uh, fantastic uh, girl who works in our office, does all of our social media, and she's an internet genius, Sarah Philp. She came up with this whole campaign did this amazing job on it. And um, so we, we utilised some bits at the beginning of the video because at the beginning of the video, there was always supposed to be an invitation to Belshazzar's feast. Because otherwise, why are all these people queuing up? Why is everybody going towards that building? What the heck is going on here? So unless you know that, that's your, well, once upon a time, there was a big building in the middle of a screwed up desert, right? It's the, you know, the Star Wars bit, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, bosh. Without that, the video doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all for the, you know, first halfway through it, you know, because there's no what opening storytelling bit. And we actually forgot to put that at the beginning of the video. So when the <laughs> Iron Maiden fan face plants and dead, it's like, yeah, but he, he should have been holding, clutching his last hope was he was hoping to get some kind of redemption from going to this thing. And basically the guys in Blink Inc. who were amazing, but they just forgot it. They just forgot that part of the storyline. And we were so involved in the rest of it that we made an assumption that of course it was going to be in there when we saw the final edit. I thought, where is it? And Mark Andrews from, who was ex Pixar guy and he's all story. He was like, we got to have it in there. You can't not have this part. It's essential, you know. So we came up with a poster as a a, a quick fix rather than reanimate a whole bunch of stuff, which would take a long time. The poster came up and I just said, let's just make it like a black and white poster that looks like something that you'd see for one of these homemade things like a homemade rave or something that people slap on a side of a concrete building. Um, and I just came up with the you know, heaven or hell, um, live forever or live forever, depending on which way you want to, you know, play with the words. Um, and very, very simple. Um, and that turned into this whole monster, monster campaign, really. So a, a lot of things, a bit like our stage shows, um, when you see the whole thing, you think, wow, you know, they they must have spent years planning that. <laughs> and and the truth is we spent, you know, sort of three or four months planning 50% of it. And the remaining 50% of what we do on stage and the pyro tricks and things like that 
end up happening over the course of the first two or three weeks as ideas occur to us as we do it with a live audience. So uh, things aren't as set in stone. And that's the, honestly, those are the fun bits. I mean, they, they really are. Um, but yeah, you, know, you, you, with- you, you, you had everybody guessing the, the whole Belshazzar's feast and the t-shirts that were leaking out and popping up and the teasing on social media. I, I mean, my, even myself, it was daily fodder for me with my audience. Well, that's going to be the name of the record or that's yeah, going to be the no. single. I mean, it had everybody uh, guessing and talking and, and, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, but, but I've got it. We'll talk so much more about the record and we have uh an audience that's going to join us here in a second. And I'm sure ask about the record, but I have one final question about the record before we get to the audience. Yeah. I would imagine it's extraordinarily difficult to not only record and make an Iron Maiden album with the fan base you have that is so rabid and so passionate and wants to know everything that's going on to do that quietly and then have a completed record for over a year and have that, also be unknown and not leak and make sure that it, you know, stays under wraps until you're ready to unveil it. I imagine that turned out to be quite a challenge given the pandemic and the delay in releasing it. Yeah. I mean, it, it helped that none of us had a copy of it. Is that um, right? Yeah. None of us had a copy of it. I mean, I, um, when we finished mixing it, um, I was, the only one left in the studio, myself and Steve and and, and Kevin. So we both, uh, we, we heard it through a couple of times in the studio and and that was it, you know, uh, closed up the laptop, took the files, whatever it was, and literally it was stuck in, in, a, in, a, in a vault uh, of whatever passes for a vault, electronic vaults. But anyway, it was, it was, it was locked up and did not see the light of day to anybody. I mean, when I was doing the storyboard to um, write it on the wall and was coming up with a plot, um, I had to jump through hoops to actually get a low-res copy of just that track because I did make the point. I said, look, I am actually trying to storyboard the song, and I know I did co-write the song, but you know what? <laughs> I'd actually like to listen to it while I write the ideas down because it does help, actually. And I got this cryptic file that was caught. I can't remember what the name of it was. It was like, you know, um, it was like a Beatles. I think it had like a Beatles song name or something on it um in case somebody should see it on my laptop and go what's that you know um and accidentally play it or whatever so it was it was it was very very amusing uh but um no and the last um so the the next time i heard it was when we were mixing knights of the dead and steve was um doing it at his uh kind of home studios thing up in uh up in essex so he's up up there um, tweaking that, and I, I popped along, and and he went, oh yeah, I said I've, I've got it on the laptop, and he only heard it like once since he hadn't listened to it at all. So we we just put it on, listened to it, and we went, wow, this we we did a really good thing here, you know, this is really cool, you know. It's, it must have been cool um, yeah. to have some distance from it then and then come back and revisit it like that. And and I'm curious, who who had the key to that vault, uh, Bruce? Was it Rod or was it Kevin Shirley, the producer? Who was the keeper no. of the vault? Uh, well, basically it was uh, basically it was Steve. So not, uh, nothing really Steve. went out without, uh, you know, without without Steve, because he's, you know, he's he was very picky and paranoid about about anything. I envision it handcuffed to his wrist, you know, like in a well, briefcase. Not, not, yeah, not, I mean, <laughs> not even. I mean, I don't know where things get kept in digital vaults, so on, so to speak. Um, but um, we did. I did actually get a copy because uh, when it was mastered in February, um, I went up and we were uh, talking. In, I was talking Steve through the video because he, you know, I explained what it was and then he saw some rough cuts. He went, wow, I love what you've done, man. Wow, great, you know. And then uh, I said, uh, well, should I, can, I, can I go and get it, get it on my laptop so I take a listen to it? He went, yeah, yeah, go on then. So I went down to the mastering guy and basically he just stuck a, a kind of medium res version on my laptop, you know, because uh, Steve was like, oh, no, you've got to have the like whatever it was, a 90-something K version. I went, Steve, 
nobody listens to stuff on 90k version. I mean, no, you do, but everybody else, everybody else listens to it on whatever stuff. So I want to listen to it on the way that most people are going to end up listening to it, you know, which is on Spotify or wherever. I mean, you know, it's going to, there's going to be a better version, which is going to be, you know, the version that's, you know, that, that they can actually buy. And obviously there's vinyl and stuff like that. And, and that will all sound, you know, markedly, uh, you know, better than the, all the stream stuff. Because at the end of the day, digital is okay, but it's it has different, very different quality levels. Uh, uh, as, you know, anybody knows who, um, uh, who listens to things on YouTube, you know. And sure. it's, it's, you know, stuff gets put on YouTube and it makes me laugh when people comment on the sound. They're like, oh, I don't like the mix of this. It doesn't sound very good. It's like, well, duh, you're listening right. to it on like a $2 set of speakers and a $2 free download. I mean, what do you think is going to happen to the sound, you know? Compressed um, to hell, of course. And, yeah, 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 it's, 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 it's horrible, terrible. You, know? but you get all these, all these audio experts it's like well, if you're an audio expert why are you even bothering to listen it why are you even bother to comment on something that you're listening to on youtube you know that immediately <laughs> exactly. tells you me you are immediately tells me you're an idiot you know you might as well say i played this i played this album in a with my head in a bucket the other day and it doesn't sound good you know bruce we get so i could talk to you about so much more but i want to let the audience jump in on this by the way the new iron maiden record that we're talking about senjutsu is uh if you're listening to this on its premiere on uh wednesday uh, the 1st of September, the album is out this Friday. Now, we're replaying this multiple times, so if it's September 3rd or later, the album is available. So go get it, and uh, you know I would strongly suggest a physical copy, whether it be CD or vinyl, not only for the better audio, but the packaging is going to be phenomenal, which is also a trademark of Iron Maiden releases. Be right back with more with Bruce Dickinson after this on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now back to more with Bruce Dickinson on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. We got some fans that want to ask some questions to Bruce. Our first listener viewer is Jeff in Farmington, New York, who appears to actually be driving in his car as he is about to ask Bruce Dickinson a question. <laughs> <laughs> Drive yeah, safely, in, Jeff. Go ahead. Yeah, you're, you're in one of those Teslas with the autopilot on, are you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That'll be my next purchase, Bruce. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity. So uh, an honor to talk to you. This is incredible. Appreciate it. Um, my question for you was what songs or song, at least, that you guys haven't played in a while on tour, um, are you looking at or would you love to put back in the set list for this upcoming tour? Well, actually, the upcoming tour we've got coming up next summer is, is, is the Legacy Tour. So it's going to be the same set list, probably with a few additions. Well, we may, I mean, we may, 
play riding on the wall. We might, you know, do Stratego and ah, we might even get around to doing the title cut Senjutsu, but we're not going to be losing any of the, any of the big favorites. So, you know, expect Spitfires and flamethrowers and, uh, and everything like that. Cause you know, certainly in Europe, that's what people paid for two years ago to go and see this legacy tour. We've got in well in excess of a million people to play to. Um, and then some, so, there will be, I'm, I'm certain, another tour in which we will do some songs that, yeah, we haven't played for a long, long time. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways you can, we've got such a repertoire now, there's all kinds of ways you can cut and slice it. I mean, Stephen, myself, we, we once discussed, wow, you know, what if we went out and we did a whole set of all the epics, you know, sort of like Alexander the Great, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, you know, just, 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 just epics, you know, like, wow. And we went, yeah, that would be cool. And then you could go back and do a, a different versions of other things as well, like all the, you know, do, do like Number the Beast in its entirety or, you know, so we, there's so many ways you can cut and slice this. And I think, um, Right now, it kind of depends on just what the mood of the world is as you approach a summer a, a summer touring season. So this summer tour coming up, we've already got it go, running through Europe and we've already announced Rock in Rio. It would be great to come back to the USA, frankly. It would be amazing. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if Uncle Joe lets us back in, you know, then uh, it'll, all be, uh, it'll, it'll all be great to get back out there uh, and do some stuff. And then, what are we, then 22 and 23, let's see how the album goes. Because, frankly, we would love to get out and play a bunch of, a bunch of album cuts. And I'm absolutely certain we wouldn't be playing, you know, festivals and, you know, we be playing arenas and uh it would be to people that you know love the album so okay instead of doing three nights you just do one night but you do one night of really compressed tight album stuff we did the book of souls basically uh or no, matter of life and death we did it effectively almost in its entirety mm -hmm. um and um we know how successful that was because we came back the next year and uh, goodness me, you know, the ticket sales were through the roof. So although people, a lot of people, a bunch of people got grumpy about it, you know, oh, you know, where's my song? You know, I only want to hit, listen to songs that are 40 years old. Um, and yeah, respect that. But um, there's a lot of people that have grown up with the band since and, and, and would like to hear us do stuff. OK, maybe not everybody, but a significant proportion of our fans would really get off on that. Um, and, uh, you know, some smaller shows and things. It's something we'd like to do, uh, but it just depends on how the world is, you know. Um, I'm hopeful that we, by the time we get to next summer, you know, uh, this pandemic will be behind us um, and we can just get back to doing what we do. The uh, Legacy of the Beast tour that you said you're going to continue was remarkably well-received around the world and an incredible show. I got a chance to see it a couple times. Uh, you mentioned doing a set of epics. They're, the last three songs on the new album are all over 10 minutes long. <laughs> the yeah, the yeah. majority yeah. of the songs on the record are 7, 8, 10, 12 minutes long. What is it lately with Iron Maiden and the extended long songs? Is it just you guys flexing your prog muscles or oh, how yeah. does that happen? <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I mean, uh, Steve and I are, are partially responsible, partially irresponsible. I mean, I did the, you know, the, the, the whole thing about the, uh, you know, the, the, the airship disaster, the R101, which, you know, was, God, what was that, 18 minutes or something crazy. And that was basically arranged for an orchestra, which at the time we didn't have. And um, and we also didn't have a pianist, because although I played it on piano, I mean, my piano skills are literally two-fingered plinky-plonk, you know. So although I could compose it on piano, uh, I'm damned if I could play it properly on, on piano. So we actually had to do it with me playing MIDI. And I'm, honestly, I'm a rubbish pianist. and I, I would... I would have loved to have had a proper pianist playing that with us in the studio, but we didn't have one and we were under the pressures of time, so I had to do it. Um, but um, yeah, for the, I mean, for this album, 
Uh, yeah, Steve is a big fan of prog, you know, uh, and as am, as am I, and so, you know, and it, it, I was talking to somebody else about this, about the different bands that we both liked. Um, so he, Steve, for example, a big, big fan of Jethro Tull. I'm also a big fan of Jethro Tull. He loves Passion Play, Thick as a Brick. I'm more Aqualung on the early stuff, you know, so... But nevertheless, we, we both meet in the middle there. Um, he's a big Genesis fan. You know, the Peter Gabriel Genesis. Uh, Lamb lies down on Broadway. He loves all that. Me, I'm not crazy about Genesis, but I loved Peter Gabriel. Uh, I think it was his third album, solo album, Intruder, No Self-Control, scary, dark, really moody stuff. And there was a band called Van der Graaff Generator who were contemporaries of Genesis. And they were, much, in a way, they were even a bit more out there than Genesis. Well, I loved them, you know, and I, you know, borrowed bits of Peter Hamill, their vocalist, vocal style and things. So we both have this prog thing spinning around our heads, along with, you know, Din Lizzy, Deep Purple, Sabbath. He's a great fan of Nectar and the Scorpions, you know, um, and then uh, I was, funny enough, I was not that crazy about Judas Priest until I toured with them, until I toured with them with Maiden. And indeed, the Scorpions the same. So, uh, you know, I never really got into Priest that much, um, apart from like Sad Wings of Destiny, until I toured with them. And then it went, wow, they, this is, they, they do some really cool stuff, you know. And that was a great album that we toured with them, then, with them on. So, so those are all the kind of influences that are, you know, pinging, pinging around that end up with us doing all these great long songs. Um, and I don't mind them because he's, he's kind of, um, I mean, some of the stuff, I mean, like the, 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 the parchment, I mean, is, is almost like self hypnosis listening to that. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really is, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like you're getting sleepy. Come well, there's through. a lot, Bruce, there's a lot of moments in those long songs too, where they're instrumental passages. So I would imagine if you play them live for you as the singer, it's a nice break for you because even though you tend to stay out there and run around a bit, you could walk off for five, 10 minutes if you wanted to at oh, times. Oh, oh, and, and the, and the parchment, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be around the, I'll be around the back having a a glass of, uh, of uh, non-alcoholic water. I get a five and a half minute tea break in the middle of uh, in the middle of parchment, uh, but then you have to come out and squeeze your nuts uh, afterwards. Yeah. So uh, you know uh, you, you you pay for it in the end. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on this album which which is um, you know it, it, it's lower in the range, but it's compensated for by some stuff which is really like uh, you know up there. So uh, yeah, yeah. And by the way, speaking of Jethro Tull. That love of Tall for Maiden goes way, way back because we all know Maiden did a phenomenal version of Cross-Eyed Mary many decades ago, and that was the first time we knew about yep. the love of Tull. Um, let's bring in James right now, and James is uh, joining us from St. Francis, Kansas. Hi, James. Thanks for waiting. You are on with Bruce Dickinson. Hi, Eddie. Hi, Bruce. Thank you. Great honor. Hey, Bruce. Did you just say hi, Eddie? Ah, I've got it. That's oh, me. sorry, sorry. I thought you. I thought. I thought I was going to have to have my monster. My monster from its slab began to rise. I've got, I've got him right here too. That yeah. one's more handsome than me, though. <laughs> right, Bruce. With the plethora of songs from the Iron Maiden catalog, what's your favorite to perform live? And is there an air from the band's catalog that you enjoy doing live the most? Uh, well, we haven't done one of the songs I really enjoy doing, and the and and in fact, because I uh, I keep um, in lockdown. Basically, I was just trying to improve my Iron Maiden pinball score, and of course, we got some really cool tracks on the pinball machine, including uh, "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner," which we haven't done for ages, and I just love doing that song. It's the storytelling element of it is genius. And then the breakdown, the moody bit with the, you know, then then into the, the curse it lives on in your eyes. But, oh, it just gives me goosebumps just listening, just listening to it and, and thinking, wow, you know, we're going to do that again one day. That's just awesome. So stuff like that. I mean, I'd love to do one or two rarities off of, uh, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd love to do The Prisoner again. Uh Stranger in a Strange Land, stuff like that. You know, I, I like things that have a little bit of a groove to them. Um, so, uh, yeah. 
Do, Bruce, do you like singing anything from the first two records, the two records you weren't on? Do you like doing any of the Diano stuff? Uh, I know you've done some, but do you, and you even re-recorded Wrathchild once. Do you enjoy digging yep. into that? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, there's some stuff that, uh, I mean, I really like on those records. I mean, I love Prodigal Son. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, if you want to see a kind of a Jethro Tully sort of influence on the early, early Maiden, you know, that. Um, and uh, in particular, I mean, Killers, uh, the track Killers, and Murders in the Rue Morgue, just great, yeah. great, great, great stuff, you know. I mean, th those were the uh, um, a couple of tracks that I first heard Maiden play live when I was in Samson, uh, which is a band I was in before Maiden, obviously. And we were all playing together in the same, you know, three band bills and stuff like that. And I remember one evening, the first, the first time I ever saw Maiden, they were, we were, we were headlining in this kind of big club. Um, and, uh, they were <clears throat> sort of like special guest. And, um, so uh, I thought, well, I better go and stand at the back here and 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 check these guys out, you know. So you know, there was like two, three hundred people in 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 the audience, and then about ten minutes before Maiden came on, about five hundred people walked through the door, and it was and it was just rammed, you know, you could not move, and they came on and did Killers and Murders in the Room Org, and I was like, oh my god, you know, I mean, I'd never seen. Up to that point, I'd never seen like um, Deep Purple in their heyday, you know, and stuff. So I could only imagine what they did. Actually, they didn't do a whole bunch, you know. They, they kind of stood around apart from Richie. But in my head, in my head, that was Maiden were doing kind of what they would have been doing, you know. And it was that same level of excitement, you know. Anyway, then they and I thought, wow, that's amazing. God, I'd love to sing, sing for that band. And then at the end of the set, um, 500 people all left. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we went, I went, oh, oh, guys, well, uh, I guess we're going on to a kind of half empty hall then. Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. There's, that's, that's food for thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. First time I saw Maiden was opening for Priest on the Killers tour in New Jersey. And uh, right. I, I had gone to see Priest and I was like, hey, who's this new band? I'll check them out. And same sort of thing. It was like, whoa. And there were some people that were there specifically for Maiden, even at that, uh, very, very early period. Eddie Trunk here, and we go back to the callers and viewers uh, joining us virtually on Zoom. Next up from Summit, Pennsylvania, we, we, we welcome uh, Doug August to the show. Doug, say hello to Bruce Dickinson. Hey, Bruce, Eddie, thanks for having me, Bruce. Amazing Hi. to talk to you. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, can't wait to hear the rest of the tracks and, uh, and see you guys again on tour. Uh, question for you. What was the most uh, surprising thing that came up from the creative process or the writing process for the new album? And uh, thank you for all the great music. Appreciate oh, it. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for thanks for thanks for that, for the compliment. Um, uh, I think we were all uh, we were all blown away when when we did we did writing on the wall um, and Steve goes, oh, I love that. Yeah, he goes, oh, like a bit of, he said, I like a bit of Cajun music. <laughs> and, 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 and Adrian and I, I mean, you could have like knocked us down with a feather. We were like, a bit of Cajun music. I <laughs> didn't really think it was Cajun, but yeah, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and he said, no, it's got to be the first track. I went, wow, cool, okay. Because it was really different for us to do that track. I mean, that's just... It's close to a classic rock track, which is because it just felt right. It was fun, you know, it was anthemic track, fun, bang, you know. And um, so, yeah, we were kind of pleased with that. But also uh, on the new record, um, in particular, I'm going to, I mean, obviously people single out the guitar players and they've all done amazing jobs uh, on, on the record. But Nico's playing uh on this record is outstanding because he's just got this groove going down now and i mean the title cut senjutsu just starts off uh just laying down this really dramatic groove and it just rocks solidly and there's 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 the maiden gallops through throughout but it's not kind of uh 
kind of adolescent maiden gallops. It's not like for the sake of it, like every song's not like, da, 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 you know, um, but there's moments in every song when it kicks in and by God, when it kicks in, I mean, there's a song called Time Machine, um, which is one of my favorites on the record. And um, there's a, there's a, there's a part in that song when it, just lifts. I mean, it's like those bits in Irish traditional music when you're fiddling away and then it just has this key change and, and everybody just wants to jump up and down and go, I'll have another 10 shots. I'll have, you know, whoa, you know, um, and it's that moment. And you just, you just, I just see seas of people's heads bobbing up and down when it happens. And there's so much stuff like that on the record. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it, it's, it, I think it was writing on the wall. Um, there's moments on it as well. So in the, um, one of the, the long, so there's a few of the intros are really atmospheric. I mean, will really surprise people. I mean, they, honestly, you know, you will actually think for a moment that you'd stepped into the moody blues in sort of like the, you know, late sixties and one or two of the intros, not for long, um, but that's the that's kind of where we're going with this, with the colours and things, because we can, you know, uh, and it is taking an audience audience on a little kind of musical exploration. But it's got everything, you know. It's uh, it's not one dimensional. This record. There's a song on the record called "The Parchment" that really jumped yeah. out at me, and that that's almost had one. a that almost had a cashmere like hypnotic vibe to it at times. Yeah. I, I, that was yeah. amazing. And yeah, so, so, right. so, like, come to me. It's that moment. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's like having car. It's like having car sitting on your shoulder. Jungle book. You know what I mean? And also a track called Darkest Hour jumped out at me too. And the guitar playing in that is, is brilliant. Oh, and yes, Nico's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And Nico's performance yeah. throughout the record, just, just incredible as well, as you mentioned. Uh, let's bring Sam from Wyoming, Pennsylvania on with us to ask Bruce a question. Sam, thank you for listening and watching and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This is quite a kick. Bruce, your music's been uh, part of my life for a long time. Thanks so much for it. Um, my question is, my question is, uh, Maiden has shown throughout the years to have a, a tendency to keep producers for a long time. You had the yeah. late great Martin Birch for the first yeah. half of your career. And uh, now since you've rejoined the band in 2000, you guys have sort of settled on mm -hmm. Kevin Shirley. What is it about Kevin that keeps you guys going back to the well? I think he does great work, but I'm just curious to know what specifically is it that keeps you guys going back to Kevin for album after album? Well, Polly, you know, Kevin's, Kevin's a very good producer. He's a very good, knowledgeable, technical producer, but we are difficult to work with. <laughs> I mean, I've, I have never worked with, I, I mean, I haven't worked with that many bands, but I know how a lot of, I've worked with a, you know, a fair number of musicians and I know, you know, in general, how people tend to work. Nobody works like we do. Uh, we are uh, definitely a one-off. You know, the, the way things get put together, all the funny little protocols and the little politics within the band. Not in a bad way. This is just the way it works. I imagine it's kind of the same in, in the Rolling Stones. I, I imagine the Rolling Stones, uh, it's not like working with anybody else. It's like, you know, it's, 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 what, what are they doing now? It's like, well, they're the Rolling Stones. They always do that on a Thursday, you know, and they've done it for 40, 45 years. They, that's what they do on a Thursday, you know, and nobody nobody interferes with that, you know, and it, it's the same same with us, you know, we have all these little eccentricities that that we've, and we, frankly, we couldn't work any, I don't think we could work any other way. I mean, I, I do albums, obviously I've, I've done solo albums and things, you know, working with, with, with Roy and some great musicians. Um, and you work in a more kind of traditional way and Adrian's done records and works in a more traditional way. Uh, but we as a band need to get together and play in a big room and actually make a lot of noise and do, I mean, it's old school stuff. I mean, and when people say, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you're kind of like, you know, dinosaur rock. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's like, you know, <laughs> since, and that's not a bad thing. You know, how many dinosaurs are there left in the world? You know, if we, if you're going to be a dinosaur, you want to be a T-Rex, 
you know, you know, oh, what do you feed a T-Rex? Any, anything it wants, dude, you know. And and it's kind of like that with being the being the producer of 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 Iron Maiden is you are you're part of the team, but you you you've got to play by you've got to play by our rules, you know. And there's a lot of producers I could frankly I couldn't cope. They're not that they're not in they're not incapable of doing stuff, but they would rapidly come up with against a brick wall um, <laughs> with, uh, with, 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 with some of our opinions and practices in studio, you know? Um, so Kevin we, we Shirley, Ke Ke Kevin Shirley, the maiden whisperer, we'll leave it at that. He makes it all yeah. work. Uh, we're yeah. going to get uh, two more quick ones in here because time is running short. So but we want to let, let these last two folks jump in real quick. This is Jorge Ramos, who is in Austin, Texas. Jorge, you're on with Bruce Dickinson. Uh, first of all, thank you guys, Eddie, Bruce, Serious okay. for doing this. I really appreciate it. And my question to Bruce is, what is your opinion about live stream shows? And were there ever any discussions within the band to film and have a live stream set to promote the new album? Or do you um, guys only want to play this material live to an audience whenever the industry backs up? Uh, yeah. Um, there was a discussion that lasted about 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, and we and we just went no way. That's you know I mean uh, because um, with the best will in the world. I mean first of all we hate doing videos. I mean and we hate doing videos and that's kind of pretending you know. Um, and to actually go and do a live show without a live audience is the worst of all possible worlds. You know. Uh, so yeah, we need the we need we need we need to feed off that audience and the audience needs to feed off us having us just stand there like glove puppets, you know, uh, pretending, I'm um, sorry, you know, doesn't, doesn't cut the mustard. It's like having, uh, you know, it's like watching your favorite, uh, sports team, uh, playing against holograms, you know, and pretending to fall over when they're tackled and stuff like that. It just sucks. Um, so, we we would we would never we would never do that, and certainly we would never do that and call it call it Iron Maiden. I mean, I suppose there might be ways in which we could do it uh, in little sessions and things like that. But even then, I'd want an audience. You know, you, you'd want some human being to, to 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 play in front of. You know, not just a laptop. You know. Um, and, and and anyone who's seen an Iron Maiden show knows how big the audience looms in the whole presentation and the interaction between the band and audience is just a, a huge part of what makes it so special. So I could completely see you having that position. Yeah, I mean, it, it's frankly, it's not it's just it's just un and the same goes actually for um, uh, limited capacity shows. You know, so so saying, uh, oh yeah, yeah, you can go tour, but you can only have fifty percent of the people. So you're going to play to a, a half empty hall. So the experience for the audience sucks. Um, the experience for the band sucks, and the promoter goes broke. Well, you've got to work really hard to get all those three things in alignment. You know, so just we we just got to wait until we can do things as near normal as is acceptable. You know. And I think that's that's coming. That's 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 coming. No, no question about that. <laughs> Final question for Bruce is from Brett. Bruce, Brett wanted to know if you had any plans to do any more solo albums like Accident of Birth or Chemical Wedding uh, with Roy Z. Would you like to do solo records in the future? We know that uh, Adrian did a record with Richie Kotzen during the break and the Maiden guys all do some things sometimes on the side. Would you like to revisit some of that work and do things, uh, do solo records again? Oh, not only would I like to, I mean, I've got, I've got a work in progress right now that's been, um, kind of, uh, on and off on the back burner for, uh, well, for three or four years now. Um, and basically I, 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 I since, the pandemic happened. I mean, I've had loads of time, but uh, I can't go to America to um, to do it, to finish up the writing for it, start the recording process and do all that stuff. So I'm just waiting for um, uh, Uncle Joe, you know, to uh, let me into uh, America. 
Yes, I understand completely what you're saying. You were on tour doing uh, speaking shows, I believe, and you contracted COVID. I'm curious overall, how is your health, not just coming off of COVID, but also you, of course, are a cancer survivor. And uh, yep. I'm wondering how, you, how you're doing on that front as well. Is everything continue to be all clear? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm a, basically I'm like a big medical experiment, you know. So, <laughs> like at the cancer thing five years ago, nearly six years ago now, um, and that was uh, that's three or four months of treatment, and which does kick the hell out of your body. But it was a relatively brief bit of chemo uh, in there. Um, so yeah, I had the my double shot of vaccine uh, back in May. Um, everything hunky-dory. And then I got what people are calling a breakthrough COVID infection, um, which was just like a it's, – it's a bit more than a flu. I mean, I would really caution against people who go, oh, it's just a flu. No, it's not. And I know a lot of people who were not vaccinated, not because they didn't want to be, but they were, like, too young to get it initially. And, you know, 22, 23-, 24-year-old people who have not been able to get out of bed for six, eight weeks – um, after it, they've been really sick, uh, ongoing and not in hospital, but their life is really screwed up. Uh, and there's all kinds of lot, there's, there's people talking about sort of like, you know, it long-term COVID causing diabetes, causing stuff with your brain, uh, even dare I say it, erectile dysfunction. There you go. They didn't tell you about that when they said go and get vaccinated. There's a really good reason to go and down that because it makes you willy shrivel. Um, because the, the blood vessels with COVID can become really inflamed. So they get blocked up and your extremities don't get enough blood. And obviously there's one extremity which is dear to our hearts as men. And if that doesn't get enough blood, then boy, you're into a world of pain or not. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for me why the vaccine, again, anecdotal, people say, oh yeah, but you still got COVID. I said, yeah, but I'm not in hospital. I got over it in 10 days. It took me about a week after that to get my smell back and to get um, to start feeling more normal, get energy and stuff. But this is not just an ordinary common or garden flu. And uh, uh, honestly, it's my personal opinion. I'm not I'm not forcing anybody to go and do stuff, but um, I would advise anybody to just go ahead and get the vaccine. That's yes, my well, I. I agree. I got it as early. I, I agree yep. with you. And I got it as early as possible and uh, knock on some wood. I, I've been okay. Final thing. I just remembered this. Uh, I have a good friend that's a filmmaker who told me that there was some discussion of he, of he, that he would be working with you on potentially doing a biopic on your experience in Sarajevo. Can, uh, can you comment uh, on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm. Um, so you might be talking. Are you talking about Sasha? Sasha, yes. Yeah, Sasha. Yeah, Sasha. So Sasha and I uh, have been uh, bouncing ideas around. Funnily enough, um, Sasha also does a lot of work with Kurt Sutter, uh, and Kurt and I have also been bouncing ideas around. Kurt was the writer of Sons of Anarchy. Yes. Sons of Anarchy. Binge watching Sons of Anarchy was what gave me the idea to have the four bikers of the apocalypse in the video. Um, so uh, it was a real thrill for me to get talking Zoom calls about script writing, screenwriting, and graphic novel writing with Kurt. Um, that might turn up into something on its own anyway at some point. Um, but yeah, Sasha and I have been, I've kind of timelined um, a the story of the trip into Sarajevo, um, in which I have to say it's not really a biopic of about me. Uh, I'm the excuse for making the film about the the overall environment. It's an incredible story, but the people who are involved on the periphery and uh, central to it in Sarajevo itself, uh, their stories are um, uh, more. I, th I think more interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'd be in it. Not as me. I have to get somebody else to go and play me. I don't know who <laughs> we'll figure out somebody. Um, but, um, yeah, the, uh, it, it is, a, it is a great, it is a great story. And, and we've already got quite a way round down to, to kind of mapping it out, but we haven't physically, um, started, uh, page one of a script yet. 
Yeah, Sasha did the film, the Anvil film and many others. And uh, he, he was mentioning to me that uh, about it. And for people that don't know, there's a fantastic documentary that you did that came out a number of years ago about that experience. But this would actually be a biopic. The documentary yeah. on it already exists. Well, Scream for Me Sarajevo was the, was the documentary that was made um, actually by people in Sarajevo um, themselves off their own, you know, off their own bat. There's a local documentary uh, filmmaker called, um, well, he's a filmmaker uh, called um, um, Adnan. The first thing I heard about it was when um, somebody came into my local pub with a laptop and showed me the raw footage of some of the interviews that they'd done with people 20 years after the event. And basically it was people saying how much the event had changed their lives, changed their attitude, changed their lives, changed their opinion about humanity. I mean, it was, it was heartwarming and amazing stuff to hear. And um, so they, they said, you know, would you like to be involved? I said, well, anything I can do to help, but it's not my, it's not my documentary. It's, it's your documentary. Honestly, they did an incredible job. We were, unfortunately it suffered from being the timing of it. We were late for things like um, Sundance and all these festivals. Uh, it was, it was too late to get in for a lot of those festivals, which, uh, uh, was very unfortunate because now people have rediscovered it and gone, wow, we never knew about this. It's it's just, it's really, you know, sad, but it's, it's out there. And, um, you know, if people want to go and watch it, it's, uh, it, it's well worth watching. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And hopefully it does become a biopic. That would be really interesting to see. Uh, everybody check out the new album from Iron Maiden, Senjutsu. It is a double studio record of all new material and it is out uh, on September 3rd or now, depending upon when you're hearing this. We look forward to hopefully getting some Maiden shows here in the U.S., Bruce. It's always a treat when you guys come over. Like you said, hopefully uh, Uncle Joe will <laughs> will allow it. And uh, Uncle Joe, that, I have to stop calling him Uncle Joe because that's uh, Stalin, isn't it? That was his nickname. <laughs> you know. uh, but thank you so much for the time and, and for doing this. Hopefully we'll see you in the States soon. And congrats on the new record. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thanks to the audience that called in. And, of course, thanks to Bruce Dickinson. And check out the new Iron Maiden album, which is out now. And, again, video of that entire conversation is available for SiriusXM subscribers on the SiriusXM app. Again, all the interviews you hear on this podcast originate on Trunk Nation, my radio show heard daily on SiriusXM Channel 106 volume. Be sure to become a subscriber if you're not already and join me each and every day for rock talk and interviews. Thanks to Joel Pollack for producing the podcast at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the website. Have yourselves a great week, everybody. Enjoy football season kicking off this weekend. Go Giants. I'll see you next Thursday for a new episode. Take care. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.